In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The body of Christ, the bread of heaven, the blood of Christ, the cup of salvation. How many times throughout our lives have we heard these statements and replied with a simple amen, but without really understanding exactly what we just agreed to? What do you mean Jesus is the bread of heaven? We just heard him say he was living bread. What is that all about? I thought Jesus was a man, the son of God, no less, who lived and died 2,000 years ago to save us from our sins, and that they would be forgiven. Where is all this bread and this wine talk coming from? And more importantly, what does it really have to do with us sitting here this morning? Prior to entering seminary, as many of you know, I was in the Navy. And I have some very distinct memories of the food that was aboard my ships. Some of them very good, and some of them not so good. But there's one memory that sticks in my mind above all the others. I recall standing countless hours of watch on the ship's bridge, and to me there was no better watch than to have the Rev watch, the Reveille watch. And that was from 2 to 7 in the morning, which meant you really didn't get a whole lot of sleep beforehand. And for the first four hours or so, it was relatively quiet. The ocean was usually calm at that time, and I've never seen the sky so full of stars since. But just about 5.30 or so, as our eyes were starting to ache and droop, from having to strain to see in the dark, the sun would slowly begin to rise over the horizon, and we'd see the most beautiful sunrises. And then you would smell it. Faintly at first, but you knew it was coming. And even now, my stomach's growling a little as I remember hearing those footsteps coming up the ladderway and the hatch opening to the bridge, and suddenly, there they were, the night bakers, carrying baskets of hot, fresh bread. Now, these were sailors who, like us, had been up for most of the night. But while we ensured the ship sailed on its right course safely, these folks had been toiling in the galleys, ensuring that there would be fresh bread and fresh rolls for all 300 of the ship's crew the next day. Now, they were certainly not required to go around handing out fresh bread to all the night watchstanders, but they did. It was their way of saying thank you and for taking care of their shipmates. But as good as that fresh bread smelled and tasted, and believe me, it did, and as satisfied as we were after eating it, about an hour later, when our watch finally ended and it was time for breakfast, we were hungry again and ready for our next meal. And then it was time for lunch. Then it was time for dinner. Always hungry. Always having to feed that hunger. And I guess nothing's really changed over 2,000 years. 
Just like the Israelites, we need food to survive. So why does Jesus say then, I am the bread of life? And why does he repeat the same phrase four times in this one chapter of John's gospel? And why do we spend five Sundays in a row hearing these gospel readings? I believe it's because that was an absolutely earth-shattering statement when it was written. And I wholeheartedly believe it continues to be an earth-shattering statement today. If we put ourselves in this position of those who are hearing Jesus say these words, it might make a little more sense as to just how radical those statements actually were. First of all, his listeners to these passages were common, everyday Jews. They weren't his disciples, necessarily, who had traveled with him throughout his ministry. So when they heard the phrase, the bread of heaven, their minds immediately went to the manna that God provided their ancestors when they wandered for 40 years in the desert after they were released from Egypt. That bread that would appear every morning and fill their bellies. And having just witnessed Jesus perform the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 with those few loaves of bread and those couple fish, it would have been very easy and a simple and logical step for them to identify Jesus as the new Moses, one who could communicate directly with God and in turn provide them for what they needed, in this case, food. So when Jesus proclaims that he is the bread of life, he's really making a much larger claim that he is not the new Moses, the bringer of bread, but he is in fact the bread itself, sent from heaven to nourish and to sustain God's people. And if that wasn't a bold enough statement just to raise a few eyebrows among the Jewish population, the next one certainly was. Jesus told the crowd that unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now that was a thing to say. And the author of John's Gospel chooses his words very carefully. Instead of saying body, he specifically uses the term for flesh. And he really just doesn't say eat. The original Greek word that he used was more accurately translated as gnaw. Unless you gnaw on the flesh of the Son of Man. Now there's a happy Sunday morning thought for you. <laughs> so why use this type of language? Well, besides the obvious shock factor and to get our attention, I believe Jesus was once again trying to separate himself from the established Jewish customs. So you see, the, the dietary laws of the Old Covenant forbade Jews from drinking the blood of any animal. And that's why it's called kosher salt. The salt was there to draw the blood out of the meat before it was cooked. So Jesus, in a sense, was telling the crowd that in order to follow him, they would have to become non-kosher. The laws of the old covenant would no longer apply. 
Jesus' statements not only replaced the old covenant with the new, but also meshed the physical with the divine in a way that was never conceived of before. Especially in John's poetic gospel, Jesus is presented as the Lamb of God that was sacrificed on this cross. And these flesh and blood images certainly keep in line with that. Now, as Episcopalians, we believe that Jesus is truly present in the bread and wine we receive during communion. All of our senses tell us that we are tasting physical bread and physical wine. But spiritually, we understand that through our prayers and through the Holy Spirit's intercession, we are ingesting nothing less than the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ in a moment of pure sacramental holiness. And since we as the church are the physical body of Christ here on earth, we receive physical and spiritual strength each time we receive the Eucharist. This is the bread of life Jesus was talking about. He is the bread that transcends the physical needs and nourishment that our bodies require and that empowers us to live into our fullest potential as followers of Christ. And unlike that tempting, hot, fresh, delicious bread on my ship that we craved and salivated over, that bread that only satisfied us for an hour or so and left us hungry and wanting more, Jesus Christ, the bread that came down from heaven, will continue to feed our hearts and our souls to eternal life. Jesus said, those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me and I in them. And that doesn't mean just until we get hungry for more. It's an eternal, unbreakable, inexhaustible relationship. I invite us all to ponder these ideas as we approach the altar to receive communion this morning. How are we to use these gifts in our own lives? And how might God be calling us to share them with others? And how perhaps could we change some part of our daily patterns to allow just a little more space so that we can hear God's direction in our lives a little more clearly? Just imagine what potential we have to change the world for good knowing that we have been given the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, the bread of heaven.